Uh, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> Vanessa, I love you, girl. Let's have a ball. Well, let's have a good time with God. How about that? Does that sound good? Okay, let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that uh, we can all be gathered in your name freely, dear God, that we're not in fear of um, being caught and we're not hiding in our basements, that we can come together, dear Lord, and worship you openly and freely. And thank you for blessing this country. Thank you for blessing us. And thank you for speaking to our hearts tonight. Heavenly Father, as I'm up here speaking, I ask that you'll just uh, continue to move through me and let the words that leave my lips be, be seeds that are planted in the hearts of the people who have shown up to hear from you, dear God, and ask that you will uh, continue to water those and let those grow and that they will prosper and bring fruition in all of our lives. And in your name we pray to God. Amen. Amen. Okay. We're talking about next generation champions. So uh, before I get started, um, have you guys heard a story about Abraham and Isaac? Abraham. He's, a, he's a, one of the people that I would consider a champion in the Bible, but he was just a very, very blessed man by God. And he, he uh, hears from God one day, and, and, and he says, God says, uh, hey, do you love me? And, and Abraham says, of course I love you, God. you do anything for me? Well, yeah, God, of course I would. He goes, okay, I need you to go up to the mountain to make a sacrifice, but don't take a lamb. I need you to take your son. And he's like, huh, okay, God. You know, this is, it's like this is the big test, right? This is the moment where God is testing his faith and he's moving him forward. And he's saying, okay, if you will do this, you've already said that you love me. You've already said that you're committed to me. You've already said that uh, you're committed to my purpose and not your own. I need you to take your son up here and I need you to sacrifice him. So he gets Isaac and he's going up. And by the time he gets up to the mountain, Isaac's already kind of looking around. He's going, something's weird about this today. There's no lamb there's nothing here, but what it says in Scripture is that before Abraham left, it says that we're going to go up to the mountain, and we both will be back. Yes. It says we'll both be back, okay? So before we take any farther steps, I want to recognize the fact that Abraham recognized that God was so big that he was going to, he fully expected a resurrection of Isaac. He fully expected him to die, and he fully expected God to bring him back to life. Does everybody follow what I'm saying there? Okay. I'm just trying to paint a picture about how big our God is. Okay, because this is important before we move forward. Okay, because our God is so big and so powerful and so strong that there's nothing in this world, in this lifetime, any circumstance that can prevent us, that can keep us from moving forward and reaching the potential and the purpose that God has placed on our lives. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, who's heard about David? Who's heard about Goliath? Did you know that David, um, before he was a champion in, in, in the world's eyes, and before that he took on Goliath, that he was a, a very young man in his youth when, when he went into battle, but he was also a very underestimated man. And this is our first point tonight, that for our next generation of young people to be champions, we have to recognize that we cannot underestimate them as David was underestimated. So, in 1 Samuel 16, we find that um, the prophet is going and being sent out to replace Saul as king. Because Saul was king. And now, God's saying, hey, I'm done with Saul. He's already crossed the line. I'm finished with him. I've prepared a new king to take his place, and I need you to go get him. 
All right, so I need you to go to the house of Jesse, and I need you to pull out all of his sons, and there you're going to find the one that I've anointed. Okay, well, in 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7, it says that when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. Eliab is one of David's brothers. And it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. It is very, very easy for us, especially as adults and as we've been through the world, and we've been through some strife and we've been through some hard times, to look at the younger generation and say, Well, you just don't get it. You, you just, you're just not there. You haven't lived enough life. You haven't gone through enough strife. You haven't gone through enough hurts and pains. And you're just not there yet at that maturity level that I can actually hold you accountable for something or that I can put some weight on you and that I can give you some responsibility. But it looks here that um, with Eliab, another translation, it talks about his stature and about he's a very strong guy. You know, he's a big guy and he was one of the oldest sons. So when you look at him, he's, he's like, that's the guy. That's the guy, right? Okay, but that's not what God was looking at. God's looking at the heart. The heart. Can I get a better amen on that? It's like God looks at your heart. He's not looking at what you see in the mirror every day. He's not looking at your circumstances. He's looking at your heart, right? Okay, we go on to verse 10 through 12. It says, After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So Jesse, the father of all of these sons, he's got eight sons and he only presents seven of them. There's something kind of messed up with that, right? This is a parent totally underestimating the fact that one of their children could be the anointed of God. Now, for, for parents, something that we can take away from this, I'm not a parent, by the way, so I say we, take that loosely. But one day, right? Um, moving on. <laughs> uh, one thing that we can take away from this as, as parents and as we think about becoming future parents is that we could have Davids in our house. We could have a David that we're raising up right now. And if we underestimate the potential of God to take them forward and use them for great things, then we could be putting a lid on them. We could be putting a lid on their potential. We could be putting a lid on what they're capable of and what God wants to use them for, right? And I don't want to do that. Do you guys want to do that? I don't want to stand before God and and Him look at me and say, so um, I had a great call in your son's life, but you spent 18 years telling him that it wasn't him. And that that's not what he was meant for. And it caused this conflict and it caused this, this uh, inner turmoil and strife within his mind and, or her mind. And now he was constantly second-guessing me the whole way and he went through an identity crisis for the rest of his life. Okay? I don't want to be held responsible for that and I don't think that anybody else in this room wants to be held responsible for that. Verse 11. Samuel asked him, Are, all, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Okay, Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and healthy and handsome appearance. Then the Lord said to anoint him, for he is the one. See, when God looks at the heart, he's not just looking at your potential or your purpose. See, Jesse had a purpose for David, and he was tending the flock. That's what he was meant for. That's what I need David for. If I'm Jesse, that's what I need David to watch my sheep and stay out of my hair. That is what I need him for. Okay? And sometimes we can do that 
as parents as well. Now, as children, as, as sons and daughters, we can also face different circumstances. Do you think that David, while he's out there, separated from his family, alone, dealing with the sheep, do you think that maybe at some point he may have went through some kind of inner turmoil or a battle in his mind saying, man, why am I always the one out here? It's like, I'm, I have to trek all the way out here to watch sheep all day long. I count sheep all day long. I don't know how he didn't fall asleep. <laughs> Where's the drums when you need them? Okay. But anyway, the point here being that it's easy to allow ourselves to underestimate the youth of our generation, but we cannot allow ourselves to be the Jesses keeping our Davids from the calling God has on their life. All right? Now, it would have been very easy for Jesse to have been said, Yes, this is all my sons. All seven out of eight of them. But he didn't, he didn't do that, right? He recognized it and he said, he said Okay, um, I recognize that the first time you said bring all your sons and I didn't and I kind of missed it. Well, if Jesse had just said, I only got seven sons. If he had done that and just guarded David and kept him tucked away, then they would have been standing there for a long time. But Samuel never would have been able to anoint David and God's spirit never would have been able to indwell David. Now I think there would have been ways around it. I'm not saying God's incapable of that, so don't misunderstand me there, okay? But the point being that as parents, we can get so proud of one child or maybe we can seclude one child or we have a purpose for them. Maybe that's the oldest in the family and I need you to take care of this and this and this and this and that's what you're meant for. And I'll let the younger siblings go on and chase a career in, in sports or athletics or journalism, etc. Anything like that. But this is what I need the oldest one for, right? Well, David's also the youngest in this case. Okay. Next. Our next second point is that they are courageous. David, um, he was out there to fend for himself several, several times over and over, day in and day out. And the Bible says that he fought a bear and that he fought a lion and that eventually... What we're going to get to is he fought a giant, okay? And it's starting to sound like something straight out of Narnia, but that's not the case, right? This is the Bible. This really happened. This is something that we can look back and we can say, wow, David, David fought a lion and a bear. It's like, if I see a bear, I'm running. I'm looking for something, a big stick or a poker, a tree, something. I'm running, man. And if I see a lion, I'm trying to figure out why I'm in Africa. So anyway, we're moving forward and we say, David is sitting there, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's counting sheep again. And this, this bear comes along, and he realizes that, okay, I've got a sheep that's getting ready to be taken. And he runs the bear off, and he fights the bear. And then he does this again with the lion. Okay? David has got some kind of confidence that most people haven't had, right? Well, he doesn't build that confidence except through his experiences in the wilderness counting sheep and having to fend for them and being on his own, right? Well, the Bible also calls David a man after God's own heart and acts. And what's great about that is that we can see that David is somebody who is courageously on fire for God. He doesn't look at his circumstances. He doesn't look at the things that are surrounding um, his job or his purpose, Etc. He's looking at the potential that God has to use him in the middle of that moment to do something great. Right? Okay. Now, 
1 Samuel 17, 3 through 11. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. That's about somewhere here. Okay. And wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. That's pretty heavy. That's really heavy. Have you guys ever, you know, I know some of the guys in here definitely, you guys have, you know, you definitely bench press more than that, right? I'm hoping. Anyway, but hey, can you imagine wearing that, walking around with that? You know, uh, earlier in the week I got some of these uh, weights that you could just strap around your ankles, you know, and that was only about 50 pounds. And I'm walking around, and man, I'm sore right now. And that's just from 50 pounds. This is a big guy. Goliath, when we say giant, this is a big guy. This is like looking at Shaq plus another foot and a half. Okay? He says in verse 6, There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze sword and slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Not only is he carrying around all this weight, he also chooses to carry around a weapon that weighs a bunch. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come out to the lineup in in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel. Send me a man so we can fight each other. This guy is pretty arrogant. This guy has got some issues going on. This guy totally underestimates the God of Israel. That's our God. Right? He has no idea what he's getting into. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the Philistine, um, Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Okay, how many times in our lives do we face a giant and we forget that the God of Israel, our God, is right there with us and we can face him? Right. We're talking about all of the people in all of the armies of Israel. And every single one of them run away terrified from the words of a Philistine that's defying their God. That says something about the faith that they have in their God, right? Well, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like that. And we definitely don't want to raise up the next generation to be like that, right? So as leaders and as adults and as the people who have come before the next generation, we have to make sure that we are taking steps to set the example to be the people who lead a life of faith, who take a stand and say, no, my God is who he says he is. The Bible is the written word of God. It is inspired by God. And if it says it in the Bible, then it's true, right? And we can stand on that and we can move forward. Okay, now this is going on. This standstill just kept going on and on and on and on and on. All right, sometimes when we're staring a giant down and it just looks like we're just standing there and we're just like, that bill's never going to go away. We're staring at it and it's like, man, I'm never going to make my mortgage. Man, I'm never going to get healing. Man, I just can't seem to get this addiction to quit. I can't seem to drop it. I can't seem to do anything. You know, I can't get a hold of that math. I can't get a hold of science. For the students who are still in high school and younger, sometimes we face these giants and we make them way bigger than they ought to be. Way bigger than they ought to be. You know, in reality, nine foot tall is not that big. He's a big guy. It's bigger than the average man. 
It's bigger than the average woman. But it's really, really not that big compared to the God of the universe who creates planets and solar systems and galaxies. I was like, what is nine feet to a guy who can build a whole solar system? And he knows you by name and he knows the amount of hairs on your head. And he wants to empower you and raise you up and make you something great in this land. Right? Okay. So we're at the standstill. And after 40 days of waiting, David gets sent by Jesse to go get confirmation. To go find out. Jesse's like, hey David, go check. Go see what's going on. It's been 40 days. I haven't heard from anybody. Surely something's going on over there. So David goes in there and he walks into this standstill and he looks around and this is what I want everybody to get, okay? We talked about having Davids in your household, all right? Students, you could be a David right here, right now. God wants to use you. He wants to uh, tell you that you can do something great with your life, but this is where it's going to take a stand. When he walks in there into this standstill, he looks around and he goes, there's nothing going on. So what's going on? I need to go figure out. Let me go find my brothers. Let me go get some confirmation. He runs up to the battle lines. He's looking around. And here comes this giant. Here comes this Philistine, this disrespectful, arrogant Philistine who has no idea what he's talking about. And he's got all of the armies of Israel quivering in fear. And David hears him. David hears him. And he says again, when in First Samuel seventeen twenty one. Israel and the Philistines lined up in a battle formation facing each other. This is that standstill. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, that sure sounds to me like David has an idea of who God is. Doesn't he? David has an idea of how big God is, how capable God is, about what God can use him to do, right? And for everybody in this room, God wants to use you to do something great. But first, we have to recognize the source, right? We have to realize that I'm not going to kill the giant in my own strength, okay? But when I stand before that giant, when I'm looking at the bill, or I'm looking at that test, or I'm looking at um, maybe another job or this circumstance or this healing, etc., that it's not going to be in my power that this comes about. That it's only going to be through God that we bring truth and fruition and that this giant is slain. Okay? So, David knows his source of strength. It says in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty-six and verse 37, Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he has divided the armies of the living God. David, then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Amen. We can get excited about that. Because that, he's talking to us right there too. It says, The God who rescued David from the lion can pay my bills. The God who rescued David from the paw of the bear can give me healing. The God who empowered David to cut Goliath's head off will supply all my needs. He will empower me. He will give me revelation. He will give me understanding. He will move me forward past the lid that maybe my parents have capped on me, past the lid that I've capped on myself. He will move me past all barriers, past all giants. 
He will make me capable to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Let's get on. Okay. And a lot of times, the young remind us of what we've forgotten. Because think about this. Think about this. David, all right, according to most research, was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 17, right in there. It's right there. He could have been as young as 12. He could have been as old as 19, but it averages out right around 17 years of age. Okay? And it took a 19-year-old man, 17-year-old man, 15-year-old man, to walk into a group of armed soldiers and remind them who their God was. I do not ever want to get to that point. Does anybody else ever want to be in that point? I sure don't. I sure don't. And I don't think that we ever have to, as long as we keep the focus on the source of our strength. Right? Amen? Amen? That David knew the source of his strength. The fact about the next generation of champions and raising them up is that we have to make sure that we encourage them to be lovers of God. See, here's one of the reasons that David knew where his strength came from. He knew where his strength came from because he had a deep relationship with God. Because regardless of what his family thought about him, regardless of the fact that he was underestimated by Saul, the king, by his brothers on the battlefield, by his father before he was anointed, regardless of all of these things, David never lost hope in God. David never lost sight of the vision that God has given him. When God anointed him, he took over. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't playing puppet master with David. Don't get the wrong idea here. Okay? But he started leading David and guiding David. And David, at any one of those points, could have disobeyed. And he would have reaped the consequence of that, right? Okay? But he realized that if, if I'm going to go through it, if I'm going to reach God's potential for my life, then I have to continue to love God. I have to continue to seek God. I have to continue to always be investing in my relationship with God, Abba, the Father. Right? We have to continually remind ourselves and keep God's vision in front of us. Otherwise, we'll lose sight of it. We'll lose sight of it. We'll lose sight of the potential that God sees in us. We'll lose sight of the direction that He wants us to go. We will detach ourselves and isolate ourselves. And in Proverbs, it it says that a man who isolates himself does so for selfish matters. Which makes sense, because if you're separating yourself from God, that's a pretty selfish intention there, right? Okay, so David was moving forward, and and he's he's a lover of God. In Acts 13.22, it calls him that uh, he's... uh, After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Okay, so David wasn't just after God's heart. He wasn't just in love with God. He wanted to do for God. He wanted to do God's will. Right? Now listen, this is very, very important. Because if you're going to move forward in your relationship with God, if I'm going to move forward in my relationship with God, if we are going to do this together, life and ministry together, then we have to keep our eyes on God, keep our heart after God, and then we also have to be willing to set 
our wants, our desires to the side, put God's will first, make that the priority in our life, and move forward and do it. And do it. You know, it was um, very timely before service started tonight. Um, I, I was able to watch this video. It was a little three-minute video on Facebook. You know, social media, it's always bombarding. But there's some good stuff on there. And this video shows um, a guy walking into his daughter's room, and it's just mess everywhere. It's just a mess everywhere. And then he goes out into the living room and puts his hand on his hip. Three days ago, I told you to clean your room. And the daughter's sitting there. She takes out her headphone, and she's all leaned back. She's got her feet propped up. She goes, I memorized what you said. And he goes, what? Yeah, I memorized what you said, and I did it in Spanish and in Hebrew. I memorized it. I know exactly what you said. She repeats it back to him and says it back to him in Spanish. And he's sitting there, and he's going, you memorized what I said. Yeah, yeah, I memorized what you said. He's like, he's like, um, okay. And she's standing there, and she's looking at him. She goes, well, thank you, and uh, thanks for holding me accountable. <laughs> now, a lot of times, this is how we treat the Word of God. God's sitting here, and, and he's saying, do this. I need you to do this. I told you to do this a week ago. I told you to do this seven months ago. I told you to do this 18 years ago. And we're sitting here, and we're like, I memorized what you said. I memorized what you said, God. I got it. I got it. And I've got it in eight different translations. It's awesome. Your word is great. Thanks for holding me accountable, God. Okay. Well, guess what? We're never going to move forward unless we do it. Unless we get in there, we get off the couch, we pull out our iPod, and we clean the room. Right? Okay, man, that was a wonderful picture. And, and I thank you, Lord, for showing me that again. Because I, I, was, I was thinking about that, and that really hit my heart. You know, when I was doing that, because so many times it's easy for us. And it doesn't matter what age you are. It is very easy for us to say, yeah, I got it memorized, but then not do it. Because where the rubber meets the road is where you say you're a Christian and you either do the word of God or you don't. And that's going to determine your relationship with God. That's going to determine the blessings that you receive. That's going to determine what you reap. Right? Because you're either going to sow disobedience, and if you, if you sow disobedience, you're not going to reap the blessings of obedience. It, it doesn't work like that. That's bad math. Anyway, moving forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Three years ago, um, if you had told me that that I was going to be standing up here doing what I'm doing right now, speaking to a group of people about God, I would have laughed at you, cracked another, handed to, to you, cheers to whatever you're smoking. You know, that is not going to happen. And I turn around and here I am. Here I am. But let me tell you something. It is, it is not by my doing. Right? The only part that I played in that is that I, I became willing to be used by God. Students, young people, parents, not as young people. <laughs> you can be used by God in great ways and He can turn you around and He can totally flip your life around for the better. But you've got to stay in love with God and you've got to be willing to do yes. what He wants you to do. In Isaiah 1, uh, is 19 or 20, 19 or 20, it's, it's one of those two. But it says that the willing and obedient 
will eat from the best of the land. It's not just the people who know the word of God. It's the people who do the word of God. It's not just the people who who say that they're in love with God. It's the people who prove it by their actions. So if you have a David in your home, then I want you to think really hard about this tonight. Maybe you're not thinking, well, I don't have a David in my home. Says who? Says who? Are you God? Jesse didn't know he had a David in his home until Samuel showed up. And students, don't underestimate your potential. Because, like I said, three years ago, there's no way I, I would have... I joked about it, you know, because I would get on rants and things like that. I grew up in a Christian home. I had some word in me. But I wasn't doing it. It's easy to recite the word. It's not as easy to follow through and do the word. But the lifestyle and, and what you get out of doing the word of God will bless you so much more and bless so, so many more people around you than just being able to quote John 3.16. When you get that in your heart, it's there and you're like, whoa, Jesus died for me. He did it for me. And that starts to sink in and you start to get a reality of that. Then when you show up to the battlefield and you're like, that's it, nine feet tall. <laughs> How much does that armor weigh? Do you know how much Venus weighs? Do you know how much Jupiter weighs? Do you know how many stars are in this galaxy? Do you know that my God's the one who created them? And that nothing you say or do is going to keep me from moving forward because I am focused on God. I love God. And I'm going to do His will. And I'm going to go somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm going through. Man, that's how you reach your potential. In closing, um, I just want to encourage parents and students, don't underestimate yourselves or the people you're around because God sees something great in you. He sees potential in you. He sees something in you that you can't even see yet. And unless you're willing to ask God for that vision and to get that revelation and then to walk it out one step at a time, then you're never going to reach your full potential. And I would hate, I would hate to find out that on that day when I'm standing before God, God said, you know, Jacob, um, I had some really, really great things planned for you. But you just wouldn't take that next step. You just wouldn't devote a little bit more time to me. You just wouldn't give up that TV in the afternoon and read my word. You just wouldn't take a stand in front of your friends at school. That's all it was. You were one step of obedience away from blowing up in the world and being one of the greatest, sharpest tools that I could have ever used. We're only a few steps away. The youth of our time are just as underestimated as David was. But maybe if we as leaders and adults can look past what we see and look through God's viewing glass, then maybe, just maybe, we'll see that the youth of our generation and of generations to come are just as courageous and just as in love with God as David was.
if you're here today, and maybe you've got some giants in your life. Maybe you've got some, some things that you're staring at right now. I just want you to know that you can overcome them, that God wants to take you forward, and He wants to build you up, and He wants to, to make you the giant slayers. Students, you are champions now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. Now. You are champions now for God. And all it takes is just one step. One step. And with that, I leave you guys. I love you all. Thank you so much for your time. And may God bless you. Thank you so much.